Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. The Gospel Record of Mark and chapter number 8. And as we come to the gospel record of Mark in chapter number 8, I want to bring us to another miracle of God that is recorded within this gospel record. Now, this is going to be one of the lesser known miracles because it is often overshadowed. But it is still important, and we're going to cover that in a second. But I want you, if you wouldn't mind, to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Mark and chapter number 8. And the Gospel record of Mark chapter 8, notice with me, if you wouldn't mind, in verse number 1. The Gospel record of Mark chapter 8 and verse number 1, the Bible says this, In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way for diverse of them came from far. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break and gave to his disciples to set before them. And they did set them before the people. And they had a few small fishes and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled. And they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets. And they that had eaten were about 4,000. And he sent them away. And if you wouldn't mind, as we cover this next miracle, this miracle is often called the feeding of the 4,000. And we could see the number of men that were there in verse number 9 where it says about 4,000. So what we have here is often called the feeding of the 4,000. If you wouldn't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again as we approach your word. And as we approach it, we're asking that you would open it up that you would just please just open up our mind, open up our understanding. Let us realize that there's a purpose for this and that we could see it and prepare our own hearts and understand the lesson that you're getting across. Help me to be able to communicate this truth in a clear way, in a way that's easily understood. And because I dare not trust my own, once again, I just ask that you fill me with your precious spirit, that I surrender all that I have, my ambitions, my goals, my desires, and that you get your own word accomplished through your precious word. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The feeding of the 4,000. Now some of you may be calculating your mind and say, well, I know there's a feeding of the 5,000. There's the feeding of the 7,000. Is this a different one? Where did this come from? The feeding of the 4,000. 
Well, this is similar to the other miracle that we had covered earlier, the feeding of the 5,000, in so much that this miracle is often overlooked. Now, let me pause here and remind you that Jesus had done so many miracles that were not recorded. The gospel record of John says this, that there was so many things that were done that there wouldn't be enough books to record them all. And so yet, out of all the miracles that Jesus did, there were 35 specific unique miracles that God listed within the gospel records. Out of the many multitudes of miracles that Jesus did, why did God only put emphasis on 35? Well, remember that God did it for a reason. And that each one of these miracles were meant to teach us something about God. To teach us something about how God works. And so this feeding of the 4,000 is often an overlooked one. But yet God placed it here for a specific reason to teach us something. And so even though it looks similar to what we taught before... Let's see if we could find the lesson that God is drawing out in a similar experience. Now we know that there's a time difference here. The gospel record of Mark is a small book and it doesn't just uh, hit things in order, but it hits things and then there's a gap. Notice, remember when I told you that the gospel record of Mark has 16 chapters and 12 of them start with the word and. Chapter 8 is one of those words that does not start with the word and. So it's not a continual action, but here is a break. In fact, there's probably a year or so break in between where we had left off in chapter 7 to where we are now. So there's a distance here. It's been a little while since they had the feeding of the 5,000. And now we come to a similar incident that has occurred. If you don't mind, let's explore this. The first thing I'd like to show you is what the crowd lacked. What the crowd lacked. Notice with me in verse number one. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto them. So here once again, we could see Jesus' teaching and he's out in the middle of the wilderness and a great crowd has followed him. And they've been listening for him for three days. Some of you think I'm long-winded occasionally. Jesus has been teaching for three days and they haven't gone home. Three days and they really haven't stopped. They haven't eaten in three days. The preaching has been that good. It must not be my preaching. Sometimes uh, people near noon, they start looking at their watches and say, when are we going to break for lunch? It's all right. You can laugh. It's fine. But here... They were so engrossed and they didn't want to miss a single thing that they haven't really got up to eat. There hasn't been anywhere to go for three days as they've been listening to Jesus Christ in the wilderness. Now Jesus has been watching. Of course, he's been teaching, observing them, and he started to have compassion on them. Man, they're starting to really look hungry. They look like they're losing energy. We should probably do something over here. Let's teach the disciples something. So he calls the disciples and said, boys, come over here. We need to talk. Notice in verse 2. I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. So for three days, they've eaten whatever packed lunches they may have had. They've eaten whatever snacks they may have brought. But now they're out. But they don't want to leave because this is Jesus. This is good teaching. They're trying to get everything they can. 
So Jesus says, we have a responsibility to take care of them. So boys, what I want you to do in verse number three, and if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way for thy diverse of them came from afar. He says, I don't want to just send them home because many of them came from a far time. By the way, a good church is worth the drive. And so they came all of this distance, have spent time, and Jesus is afraid that if I send them home, they haven't eaten in three days, they're not going to make it home. We need to take care of them now. He's looking there and has compassion. They've been fed with spiritual food, but now they need physical food. So he asked them, boys, what can you find out? What can you do? That's the second thing I want to bring to your attention here is not only what the crowd lacked, but what the Lord could do. What the Lord can do. Notice with me in verse number four. And his disciples answered him, from whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? He says, we don't have anything. How are we going to take care of them out in the wilderness? How are we going to? There's a big crowd here. There's a lot of them here. We don't have a McDonald's. We can't just go through the drive-thru. There's not a Walmart nearby. We don't have a pick and save. There's n- we can't. We're, we're, how are we going to take care of them? So Jesus said, here's the plan. Verse number five. And he asked them, how many loaves have ye? And they said, seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break and gave to his disciples to set before them and they did set them before the people. Now remember, this is a repeat or similar occasion to the feeding of the 5,000. Remember that Jesus had organized his efforts so no one was missed. If you remember in the feeding of the 5,000, that he had the people sit down in ranks of 50s and 100s. Then what he did is that he had um, broke the bread and blessed it and gave it to the disciples. Then the disciples carried it to the people. They didn't wait in a single line. Remember in the feeding of the 5,000, we explained that there were 5,000 men. And the 5,000 men probably brought their 5,000 wives. And that between all of them, they probably had at least a child. So just guesstimating that even though there were 5,000 men recorded, there could have been upwards of 15,000 people there. And Jesus had made it so that way no one could be missed. What do I mean by that? Well, could you imagine if they were dependent on Jesus? Meaning that Jesus stood in the front of the church and everyone else lined up and he came and gave them a bread. And that if he took care of each one of them and it gave, just gave them 10 seconds, 10 seconds, 10 seconds, 10 seconds, it would take 41 hours for that entire line to go through. Now, I don't know about you, but 41 hours is obsessive in a line. I barely could wait in a line if there's five cars at McDonald's. But here, he wanted to make sure that no one was missed. So he set them and organized their efforts and sat them in ranks of 50s, put them in ranks of 100s. Then what he did is he broke the bread and gave it to the disciples. Then the disciples were to go out and to feed the people. And we covered the principle of organization the last time when we talked about the feeding of the 5,000. That Jesus is showing us that we need to organize our efforts. In order that no one could be, that everyone 
is taken care of, that no one falls through the cracks. That we explain that with any structure, it will only one person can do so much by himself. But if you organize the structure, that we could organize it so that no one is missed. And if you want to know more, you could go back and listen to the specifics of it. It's going to be important. I'm not going to go through the specifics now, but it ties into what we're trying to teach. We're seeing a repeat of the lesson. Whenever God repeats something, it's very, very important. And so again, he has the people sit down and he breaks the, five, uh, the seven loaves. Then what happens is someone said, hey, we got some fish. Okay, let's bless the fish. And he passed the fish out as well. And so he made it so everyone was taken care of. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number six. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break and gave to his disciples to set before them. And they did set them before the people. And they had a few small fishes and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled and they took up the broken meat that was left seven baskets. And they that had eaten were about 4,000 and he sent them away. So Jesus took care of them. He took time to organize his efforts to reach them and to take care of them. You say, all right, so far it's sounding exactly like a repeat of what we had before. We could have just played the last sermon and just changed the numbers and we would have been fine. But I want to tell you about the third thing and where we're going to spend our time now. What lesson could be learned? What lesson could be learned? Now remember in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus said, boys, I have compassion on these people. I want to make sure that they're taken care of. What do we have to eat? And they go, we don't have enough money to go buy bread for everyone. And Jesus said, tell me what you could find. And so they found some five loaves and two fishes. Fast forward to now. They have 4,000 people. Jesus says, boys, I think we need to take care of these people. And you know what the disciples said? Verse number four. And his disciples answered him, from whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? You say, why is this a big deal? Why is this a big deal? Because earlier, Jesus said, let's feed the 5,000. What do we have? And they found five loaves and two fishes and he blessed it, and he broke it, and they had 12 baskets that remain. That little is much when God is in it. That God is able. Amen. Fast forward, the same exact situation. Boys, let's take care of these people. How are we going to take care of these people? We don't have anything to feed them. You know, I'm so thankful that Jesus is patient with us. Because Jesus said, could have been impatient and said, didn't I teach you this lesson before? Didn't we go over this? Didn't, you, didn't we go through this? Didn't you watch me feed even more that was here now? And now you're saying, how are we going to feed them? Who am I? I'm Jesus. Did anything change? Has anything Change, differed, anything, situation, same situation, same scenario. And yet the disciples said, how are we going to get this done? 
Jesus is the answer. What do we learn here? Something very, very important. That oftentimes, we need the same lessons again and again and again. Until finally it sticks. I wish we didn't have to do that. And now as a pastor, I really wish we didn't have to do that. (laughs) As a teacher, anyone who's taught understands that as much as you would like, the student does not get it the first time. Or the second. Or the 20th. Maybe around the 50th, they might start. You know, there's just something about teaching that sometimes the student's not ready to hear. Maybe they're not listening. Maybe they're nodding their head, but they're not comprehending. And we get the lesson over again. And we get the lesson over again. And we get the lesson over again. Until finally we say, hey, you know what, Jesus? Why don't you feed them? Yes. That would have been smart, right? Now, this is important because they're going to be tested on it and they don't know they're going to be tested on it. It's not much of a test if you knew it was coming. We'll talk about that test on Sunday morning. But here they have a spiritual lesson. The same circumstances, the same scenario, and they still went, how are we going to do this? How many times have you gone through the same lesson and you mess up again? Mess up again. Maybe it's a situation that you're fearful. God knows who we are and we all have different things we struggle with. Maybe there's a situation of fear. That you come into the situation, I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know how it's going to work out. And you say, God, please help me. And he does. And it was like it was no big deal and that you were worrying for nothing. And you say, that's good, I learned. Next time, same situation. And you find yourself the same thing. I'm fearful, fearful. How am I going to take care of this? God's like, okay, I'm still here. And you go ahead and ask God and God takes care of it. And he said, why was the big deal? It really wasn't that big deal in the first place. And you almost like think you learned your lesson. But then it comes up again. The same situation, the same circumstances. And you find yourself over and over and over. Why is it? It's because there's something about us that has a hard time trusting God. Remember the definition of faith is looking unto Jesus. We have a hard time keeping our eyes on him. It is so easy for our eyes to get on something else. It's so easy for our eyes to get on the circumstances. It's so easy for our eyes to get on the problem when the problem solver is still there And he's still able. God has not run out of gas. God does not get tired. God does not need a nap. And he does not need a replacement. He is the eternal God who changes not. And he is able. He is able. Now remember that Jesus is doing this. And he doesn't rebuke them here. But on Sunday, we're going to see that they were actually put to the test. And Jesus is going to say, you failed, then you failed again. And he's not trying to be mean. He's trying to teach them a lesson. Oftentimes, we learn the best when we fail. (laughs) I wish it wasn't that way. 
we also understand that repetition is the mother of all learning. I remember having a, um, a visiting family come once and they said, we listened to you on the internet a whole bunch before coming to visit the church. And the one thing that we always wondered is why does he keep repeating himself over and over? He says the same thing over and over and over again. Why? Because repetition is the mother of all learning. We have to repeat it. For example, those who have been with here any length of time know on Sunday mornings I say the same thing. That, the greatest thing you could do on a daily basis is to read the Word of God yourself. Why do I say that every Sunday? You think I'd almost get tired of saying that. Why do I say it Sunday after Sunday after Sunday? Because sometimes after year three or year four, someone will say, you know what, I think I need to start reading my Bible. I think I'm going to read my Bible through this year. Yes. Why? Because it took the four years of hearing it every Sunday for it to finally go, you know what, I think I should do that. But that's us. That we need that repeat. We wish we didn't. It'd be easier to learn it the first way. And by the way, you can. But there's a loving God who doesn't give up on us. He's the most patient teacher. Again, for those of us who have taught for a while, sometimes that patience doesn't come easy when you're like, I just explained it to you five minutes ago. And they're like, I didn't hear it. You talked to me. We had a conversation about it. Aren't you glad God is patient with us? And he doesn't get aggravated with us? And he's so loving kindness to us? Especially when we mess up on the thing again, the same thing just a couple minutes ago. What a great God that we have. So what is the lesson that we can be learned here? That we find ourselves in the need of the same lessons again and again and again. And we must have this repetition, this repeated. Um, one of my spiritual fathers was uh, Pastor Clarence Sexton. And Pastor Clarence Sexton, one thing that he taught me was to try to have concise phrases that you repeat over and over and over and over and over again. And the purpose is, is so that way people can get it for themselves. He had a college student that got uh, sideways with him and disgruntled. And uh, he left and said, I'm never coming back. And he had told his brother all the things that had happened there. And his brother had happened to see Pastor Sexton. And as he met with him, he says, yeah, my, my brother says, all you say is the same thing. That you say this, and you say this, and you say this. And Pastor Sexton said he got it. He got those sayings. He may not agree with the sayings, but he got them. He got what he was trying to teach. The same things, those things over and over. God is trying to work with us. And he is a patient God. And it would be easy to, to get it the first time. And we can. But he is a patient God. Now again, as a reminder for us teachers, a side application, be patient with your students. Be patient with your students. As much as you'd like to shake sense into them, it doesn't work. I've tried. It doesn't work that way. You have to be patient with them. As a pastor, I need that reminder that people don't get it the first time. It's always a great encouragement to my ego when I preach a message and then a couple days later someone asks me a question that that message answered. And I almost want to send them the link to the recording, but I don't do that. But I'm like, I just 
just taught you that the other day. Again, aren't you glad that God's patient with us? And again, I want to give you the encouragement. Sometimes people get to the place, I keep failing God, I keep failing God, I fail God over the same thing over again. Remember that you have a patient God. Number two, practice keeping your eyes on him. Realize what the problem is in the first place. The problem is that you have to keep your eyes on God. That God is able. He is able, he's able, he's able, and he hasn't changed. If he was able to help you that time, he's able to help you this time. He guided you through this circumstance there, he could guide you through this circumstance now. He changes not. Now I know this is overly simple, but yet it is still a profound idea that God allows us to learn the same things until we get it, until we finally pass the course. And I'm trying to give you some heads up that this is so important that they're going to be tested on this. And I'm trying to put an emphasis on it so that way on Sunday when we come to it, you go, okay, I remember he, pastor said he was going to be tested on it. Or you could read your Bible and go ahead and read ahead and find the test. But Jesus quizzes them on it and said, hey, you remember when you flunked this test and you flunked this test? And the disciples go, oh yeah, we did. Why, did it, why is he bringing them up? Is it because he's rubbing in the failure? No. He's trying to teach them from their mistakes. Learn from our mistakes. You say, how? All of this has been talking about the failures. How do we change? I am so glad you asked. That in order to respond properly to God's word, it requires three things. Now this is good. This will change your life. That if you are going to respond properly to God's word, it has three elements, three parts of it. First of all, it must be personable. It must be personable. What do I mean by that? That it must be personal. Well, that means you have to use the personal pronouns. I, me, I need this message. This message is for me. I need to apply this. Why is this important? Because so often inside of a church, that as the pastor is preaching, we'll look around and say, boy, preacher's really letting so-and-so have it. You get them. You go after them. Or it could be the idea that someone says, you know, so-and-so really should be here. Man, they would really be helped by the message. May I remind you that God's a sovereign God and he knows who was supposed to be there. And he knows who's listening. And if you're listening, that means God intended for you to listen. Now I'm not taking away free will. I'm just saying he knew. That means the message is intended for you. Not for anyone else, for you. And so if you apply that, this message is for me, and I need to do something with this message, then it will help you as you start to make your decision. First of all, it must be personal. The second thing it must be, it must be practical. That means it's something that can be done. Something that can be accomplished. For example, to read the Bible through from cover to cover at an average reading speed, it only takes 72 hours at an average reading speed. Some people read faster, some people read slower, but at average reading speed, it only takes 72 hours to read the Bible. Well, let's say that someone hears a message about reading the Bible. The greatest thing you can do on a daily basis is to read the Word of God for yourself. So someone will say, all right, fine. I'm going to read the entire Bible tomorrow. Well, is that practical? It is not. Because it takes 72 hours. You only have 24 hours in a day. 
And so someone may say, oh, I'm going to read the entire Bible tomorrow. And they may start and they may get through Exodus and then they get through halfway to Levitic, or ex, uh, Genesis and they get halfway through Exodus and then they go and they get bogged down and say, I forget it, I can't do it. And then they stop. And then they don't read their Bible and the next thing you know, they're convicted again. How come you're not reading your Bible? Well, I tried and it didn't work. You know why it didn't work? Because you didn't do anything practical. Now, instead of saying, I'm going to read the entire Bible tomorrow, what if you did this? What if you said, I'm going to read my Bible for 10 minutes tomorrow? What if you said this? I'm going to read five chapters in my Bible tomorrow. Is that achievable? Absolutely. That is something that can be accomplished. Now, this also makes it that it doesn't matter if you're a young Christian or old Christian, you could still make a decision. For example, a preacher comes up and preaches, you need to read your Bible, you need to be in your Bible more. Someone who's never read their Bible can practically say, I'm going to read my Bible for 10 minutes every day. I can do that. Some mature Christian said, I'm going to read my Bible for 30 minutes. I'm going to read 20 chapters or whatever it is. You could add to that decision. So it doesn't matter if you're a young Christian or old Christian, you could still make a decision for the Lord, something that is practical that you can get accomplished. So first of all, it must be personal and then it must be practical. The third thing is it must be measurable measurable. What does that mean? That means it needs to be a specific decision that you could look back and see, did I keep it? This idea of measurable carries the idea of accountability. For example, let's say that I make a decision. I, personal, need to read my Bible tomorrow or every day at, for 10 minutes every day. That is practical. And I'm going to meet with God at seven o'clock in the morning at my dining room table, and that's where I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to read my Bible every day at the same time. Now, that's measurable, meaning that at the end of the week, I can look back, and did I keep my decision? So it has to be personable, it has to be practical, and it must be measurable. Now, you say, this is so simple, I understand, but it is so simple that it will revolutionize your life. If you don't mind, may I give a personal illustration? That as a young man, and as I began called to preach, I loved the Bible, and I wanted to, uh, to obey the Bible. And there would be many times that I would have my pastor preach, or have, we'd have evangelists preach, and they would preach on something like, read the Bible. And I would go up to the altar and say, God, this is for me. I failed you. I need to do better. Lord, help me to do better. And that's a legitimate plea. And I'm asking God to help me do better, but I didn't make a specific decision. I made a confession, but I did not decide to do something. I just said, God, help me to do better. Then what would happen, like most people, you walk out those doors and the message goes away. Then you come back to the next meeting, maybe a week later, and you hear the Bible preach on the same thing. You need to read your Bible. And you go down to the altar and say, God, I thought I took care of this last week. How come things didn't change? Why? Because I did not make a decision. When you start to learn to make decisions like this, that it must be personal, practical, and measurable, it will revolutionize your Christian life and help you to grow quicker because you are making decisions that last. Let's give an example. Let's say that someone is 
hasn't been faithful to church. They could say, Lord, with your help, I am going to make it to church every Sunday morning. And they make a decision. They're not saying, well, if I feel like it, because you'll never feel like it. I'm going to make a decision to go to church every Sunday morning. Well, the next week, can you see, did you keep your decision? Yes. You can make a practical decision. What about someone who says, well, I'm going to start tithing. I'm going to start giving. So Lord, uh, with your um, help, I'm going to start tithing. And I'm going to tithe every week. Sunday morning is when I'm going to bring in the tithe. Well, can you go back and see if you kept your decision? Yes. Um, What about soul winning or passing out tracts or something? Someone can say, Lord, with your help, I want to pass out a track to someone new every week. That's where I'm going to start with. Every week. Well, can you look back at your decision and see if you kept your decision? Yes. And if you didn't keep your decision on any of those things because you made a specific decision, you know how to help and how to get it to work until you develop the habit of it. Does it make sense? Now, I'm trying to give something simple and something practical to help us to move forward. That every time the Bible is open, we need to assume that God is speaking to you. There's so many church services where I see people kind of dodging out of the way. Whoa, that almost got me. That was close. Just assume that God is trying to get to you. And then what am I going to do? I'm going to make a practical decision, something that I can accomplish myself. Then I'm going to make a measurable decision. I'm going to make it so specific that I can look, did I keep my decision? When you start applying this, it will revolutionize your life because you'll start making decisions and not even realize it. You'll look back and say, wow, I've been growing. How'd that happen? Because something as simple as this is what is necessary for us to learn the lessons that God keeps bringing to us. So we don't end up failing and needing a repeat of the class. But instead we learn what we're supposed to learn and move forward to the next thing God is trying to teach us. Again, just something simple today. And you're going to be tested on it on Sunday as the disciples are. To see what they did and how they passed the test. And it is brought up as Jesus uses this failure to teach them another principle. And come Sunday, as we kind of see, now we already know they're going to fail the test. Let's see what happens as they fail the test and what Jesus tries to teach them on Sunday morning. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.